Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother is bleeding. At least I have a husband, you know. Does anybody here believe that? Does anybody here believe that? We are from Arkansas, no. <laughs> Episode 77 is the Janelle. 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 Um, yeah, so that's that on the uh, b- ballot. Uh, before we get started, can I have a, a Mildred minute? Yes, I will start the timer now. Oh, me and Mildred were struggling. <laughs> I'm struggling. I think she's fine. <laughs> I think she's fine, but struggle busing for me. So my work schedule, pretty much I do... Wednesday through Friday is when I shove in all of my work for my job. And then Saturday through Tuesday is like podcast. Mm. Saturday can be split. Sometimes I'm doing a little bit of job work still. Mm. But that's generally the how it goes. So I'm trying to shove everything into those three days out of the week. This kid, man, she does not let me fucking work. And it is getting bad. <laughs> like it's getting bad. She... Very cat-like, walking up cross, back and forth, back and forth over my computer. But then she sits on it and, like, paws for my face because she wants... Her love language is being cheek to cheek. She wants her cheek and my cheek to touch. So she's always trying to, like, bring my face into hers. Oh, here she is. She just walked in, jumped up in my lap. <laughs> but it's it's getting out of, it's getting out of hand where I cannot work. So I've been literally been like, Maltred! And I like, we're just, it's a struggle. And then the the door to our office is a sliding door. Like a barn, like a hanging barn door. And the track is way too short. Like they did not install a long mm-hmm. enough track. So the whole door just kind of like, you can move the whole thing. It's not, not well done. <laughs> no. So she, I can't just like close the door because she can open it. Not even just to push it open like backwards. It's literally like pull it back because the door is like swinging, hanging. Yeah. She, she like pulls it away from the wall and then slips in. Yeah. So it's like, I can't do that. But even then, you when people know when you have a cat, like, yes, I take her to get her nails clipped, but her nails aren't perfectly down to nothing all the time. They grow yeah. back out. But then even if it did close, then I'd be dealing with her scratching at the door. So it's a whole fucking thing. And when Tim's been home, he can hear me just be like, Mildred! Because like, he's been working late. So he's uh, he's been home like um, during the middle part of the day when I'm working before he goes in. So we're just majorly struggling. And so I have... I'm like, do I buy a baby gate? Because what I've been doing lately is I had like foam poster board. So I have them taped together. And I've been closing the door and then putting them in front of it so like Mm -hmm. so she can't open the door but then also so that she can't like scratch either but then she sits there and 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 i feel bad because i get so fucking annoyed with her because i cannot work like and then because all of my work is um 
very specifically build to specific customers. Like it's like 15 minutes doing this. I spent two hours to this customer. Like I have to mm-hmm. very track. Spe- very specifically track everything. But then I'm like, I can't charge these people because it took me this fucking long to do this because my cat won't leave me the fuck alone. So then I think I'm under. Because then I so then I feel like I'm under actually reporting because I'm so afraid of over reporting. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then 100%. I feel like I spend my day being like, I actually was sitting here trying to work for this many hours, but the number of hours I'm actually like recording ends up being less because I don't feel comfortable. Be- but mm-hmm. I'm like, but it's because she won't leave me the fuck alone and I'm having to stop every five fucking seconds. Yep. And then I feel bad because it's ultimately because she's a Velcro child and she's very attached to me and she loves me. So then I feel, so Tim always says, what do you always say to me? That you're big and little Edie. Oh, well, besides, <laughs> yes. But when you're always like, what am I annoying you with my love? Yep. And then I feel bad because that does feel like <laughs> it. And then when I get done for the day and I finally like go sit on the couch, she's running to me to lay on my chest and like cheek to cheek. It's like she's waiting all day for us to have like our time together. And then I feel like a giant asshole. We're struggling. I feel like. I told Whitney she needs to leave the house for a little bit. Like, go be a go be a coffee shop girl on your laptop with headphones and doing some work. Just so little Edie can get used to you being away from the house for a little bit. She has really become accustomed to me being around 24-7. And she mm-hmm. is like a Velcro child more than ever. Yep. Love her dearly. But it's gets to be a lot some days. Yeah. And I told him the only thing that sucks, though, is like you've been working a late schedule. So if I leave in the morning, I miss that little bit of time that I can kind of see you after you wake up before you go. Mm -hmm. And then it takes away from the flexibility of what I liked anyway is that, hey, I can stop and take a 15 minute break and go water the grass and I can have food cooking on the stove Mm -hmm. all day. I'm like me leaving the house to go work because it's the only way I can defeats the purpose, you know. So she and I are struggling. Love her dearly, but we're struggling. (laughs) Anybody else any got Velcro uh, pets? (laughs) She's sitting on my lap right now as I say yes, this. She is. <laughs> so that is our Mildred few minutes. <laughs> our Velcro minute. Yeah, she just she's so attached, and I love her. I love that she loves me, and I love her dearly. But Mama has to earn money to pay for the pate, you know. <laughs> All right, ready to recap? Let's recap. So the episode is called "Driving Miss Duggars," and it pre- premiered March sixth of twenty ten. The episode begins at the hospital, and Cannon has brought bows for Josie. They already had one on her, and so she's like, oh, she already has one. But, you know, now she's got backup. Yeah. Just in case. Important. Because you can't chance somebody mistaking her for a boy. That's, like, as bad (laughs) as it gets in their world. That's why wigtails exist. (laughs) So that would be the worst case scenario. Uh, So you need backup. You need options. Mm. Josie is now 47 days old. Two pounds, three ounces, and is getting breast milk continuously via the tube um, mm-hmm. that we've talked about. But what I found interesting was that it it's at a rate of a teaspoon an hour, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, I just find that interesting because I had no idea or context as to what the t- feed rate would be like. Right. So I was like, oh, that's an interesting detail that, you know, slut for details. Mm-hmm. But when you work that out over the course of 24 hours, that's only a half a cup. Hmm. Interesting. So that's a, yeah. So I'm like that little, but I mean, she's two pounds. So she's tiny. Yeah. So. But you're just like, oh, just things you don't think about. And then you're like, oh, well, then yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So we get a nickname square <laughs> because Cannon calls her kitten again. Yep. 
Oh my god, I found that one really fast. Look at me. Look at me. Whew. So in a in a talking head, she says, "Kitten, Josie is my little kitten because she's so tiny and she makes the cutest little noises that sound like a baby kitten. When she cries, her cry is so tiny, it sounds like a kitten crying. I just picture her as this precious little gift from God, and she's my little kitten." And so that's the nickname that I've given her. So I, it is a thing. I had no memory of kitten being a thing. Yeah. I thought maybe in that episode, I'm like, is this a one and done? We're going to see. No, it's not a one and done. It is a thing. Now, does that continue? Do you remember? No, I told you I have no memory of this whatsoever. Hmm. So that's why this has all been surprising to me that it's gone on three times now. Yeah. So yeah, no memory for me. So kind of in line with my digging on last week. Um, our sort of <laughs> pet lingo that's just a part of our daily daily mm-hmm. lives that we talked about. Tim and I refer to our our childhood as when we were kittens. Yep. <laughs> so I can't hear kitten without back thinking. when you were a kitten. Yep. <laughs> so we'll be like, when you were a kitten, did you blah 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 blah? <laughs> like I don't know. Like we just like we're like, oh, well, when mom was a kitten, or yeah. when dad was a kitten. <laughs> so yeah, it's this lingo is really in in episode. Yeah. <laughs> So when the scene, um, in scene, I mean, Michelle is calling her kitten as she tries to put the bow that she brought on her, and the bow is fucking gigantic. <laughs> and lucky for Josie, it's too snug with all the tubes and things that they have taped, mm-hmm. like in wires that are taped to her head. So that really worked out in her favor. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> I mean, people do the big th- big bow thing on their babies anyway, mm-hmm. but then she's two pounds. Yeah. So you're like, oh, man, <laughs> next level. Um, and I'd also say that this scene is one of the most up close and clearest of her face that we've seen so far. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so she looks good. Back at the Cornish house, they're preparing for some of the older girls to take a trip back to Legoland to gather up some more supplies that they need. Which, you know, is like we get to get away. Well, you, you know, I'm kind of wrong in the sense that when we talked about um joseph and john david were when i was like oh the imagine the freedom that's freedom the girls would never have mm. so i'm wrong they get that freedom for one night yeah with a camera crew mm-hmm. so yep, i wouldn't call that full freedom but it is something i didn't quite expect right so lego is checking the car for like checking the oil the tires and jamesy bug is the chosen child for like the one-on-one time mm. of like going along with the store and help with the oil. Not too much to report on that. James seems generally, <laughs> generally uninterested. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you felt, but I felt like he was just like, yeah, he was super thrilled. That's sarcastic. I do have a couple things that, um, before that, that I don't think you addressed. Okay. Uh, Janice speaks. Oh, I have it later. Okay. Yeah. She, there's a point in this where she's talking about, um, you know, them going home to get some stuff that they that they've needed, and then you know return some things. So check in the house, blah blah blah. So, um, we do have a Janice speaks. Okay, I have something later, so I must have missed her talking at this point. But yes, there's actually this is actually a Jana speaks uh, a lot episode. I know what's up with that. Yeah, there's also a they're talking to I believe it's Jessa about her dad checking vehicles before they go drive anywhere. 
and it was do you have this in there uh i don't i don't know i'll have to see where you're at i'm, I'm trying to see where you line up with my notes go ahead so it's a talking head and she's talking about how whenever they have to drive especially if it's a far away that her dad will check on the vehicles to make sure that they're good and she's like he always tells us to check the check the gauges and everything as we're driving but we don't really know what to check so it's good that he checks before we leave. So that's that's the funny part is I think when we talk about like gender roles, it's like, well, when they're getting in the car and driving a long way, you're like, make sure you lose your use your gauges to know what's going on. But then I'm not going to tell you what to look for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that's boy stuff. But remember that time <laughs> that they changed the tire down the driveway. Remember. <laughs> Still don't know what the gauges do. What does the E stand for? We don't know. Yeah. So after the car checkup, right before the girls are about to head out, Lego says, I was excited for the girls to get to go back to Northwest Arkansas and to get to spend time with Josh and Anna. But I was very sad that they were le- they were leaving because I was going to miss them. Mm. Uh, how many people do you think believe he genuinely misses <laughs> them or he misses their the three C's, the, you know? The stuff they do. The, the cooking, the cleaning, and the like... Uh, caretaking yeah child rearing whatever it is it's like you really miss them or the seas yeah no kidding there's also a really weird point which i was debating um the the feeling behind a tight-lipped kiss square because there's a point as the girls are leaving and oh yeah oh it was so awkward um they're walking down a hallway and he like side hugs Jana was like all right girls and he goes to like kiss her on the forehead and it is so awkward yeah like and and it's like the, like the side hug squish where you like you really squish their shoulders and she's just kind of like got a, like okay. a s- kind of smile on her face but the fake kind and he's yeah. just like kissing the top of her head and I'm like it you know if there were natural I don't have a you know with your mm-hmm. older teen daughter whatever but I'm yeah. like this is not it didn't feel natural. like that didn't feel like a thing that's done on the regular whenever they're like leaving or you know what I mean? She did better than me though. Like every time your dad like smushes me, I I, I would wonder what my face would look like. So <laughs> Jana did pretty good, I feel, com- compared to how I would do. So, um Okay, so Cannon is also trying to sell this. Ooh. So first he's like, Oh, you know, I'm gonna miss them so much. She's out here trying to sell it too though. He's such a good dad, and he's always watching out for his girls. Is he, though? That didn't age well at all. Those are his baby girls, even though they're grown up now. Mm. Sales tactics continue with Lego saying, Oh, I tell you, I love my daughter so much, and they're so special. Get ready for this, though. They take good care of me, and I take good care of them. Where does one even start with this? <laughs> First of all, um, he does not watch out for his girls. Mm-hmm. He controls them. That's not the same as watching out. But he has not watched out for them fucking ever. He did not protect them from their abuser. And then when it all came out, they were left to be the ones to bear the weight of the media and the life of the show. So that's a big fat fucking nope from me on the watching out for them. Oh. Mildred, she's make she's so sweet. She goes back and forth between us to make sure everybody feels included. She has now jumped off my lap and she is now in Tim's lap. Yep. Now she's now she's doing uh sound. She's monitoring sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, where was I? They, it just oh, felt okay. it just aged so badly. So like, bad. And I feel like it's again with the whole they think that they're saying something that's cute bullshit that we hate. Mm. With the whole they take good care of me and I take good care of them. Your children aren't supposed to be taking care of you. Or or your other children for that matter. But it's like mm-hmm. they're not supposed to be taking care of you, you asshole. Yeah. Like that's not that's not the point here. So the girls arrive back at the Tater Tot Mansion. And um, I didn't mention specifically who it all was before, but it really is all of the o- older girls. Mm-hmm. It's Jana, Jill, Jessa, Ginger, and Joy. So kind of a bit surprising that they let the whole pack go. Mm-hmm. Grandma's workload just Damn. shot up immensely. Yeah. <laughs> when asked what it was like to come back to an empty house, Jessa said it was weird and that all the Christmas decorations were still up and it's mid-February. Yeah. <laughs> Which really proves what we've said before, how quickly they edit and put out these episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's really fast. It's like yeah. a month. They asked Jessa if she wondered why the boys hadn't taken down the decorations. She said, no, they're boys, and I wouldn't expect them to think about that kind of stuff. Yep. Which tracks. <laughs> They've been raised not to expect fucking anything out of men and yeah. boys. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, no expectations. Because I was really. That's why women, IBLP women, are so happy, right? You know, low expectations. <laughs> That's why they're so joyful mm. all the time. That's it. I actually really wondered what what the state of the house was that they were going to walk back into, and then also what the state of the house was before they got back there. Uh huh. Like, was there a mad dash to like clean certain things just so it didn't look as bad? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. That is a giant house. It I, is. I assume you're not going to spend a lot of time everywhere, but, you know, I don't know. I just feel like there's w- coming from a system of control where they don't really have any expectations on them to clean or, you know, do, do anything. Other thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like it really becomes like, man, what was the state of the house? Were they mm-hmm. just eating on to go? They're eating on paper plates and they're microwaving. So that's as good yeah. as it gets, you know? Yeah. So into the garbage, and they probably take out the garbage. That's probably a jurisdiction they're used to. So for them, they're doing everything that's so expected of them. Just less know? people in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a scene where they're in the back kitchen area of their, their more industrial kitchen. Mm-hmm. And Jill finds a bowl of moldy onions. But that's not even what I want to talk about. <sighs> I don't know if you noticed this, Tim. But what I want to mention is... This was my first time noticing that they have very random, like, magazine photos of food cut out and taped all over the wall. Oh, I didn't notice that. It reminds me of being in sixth grade where you're in the nutrition section of health science, you know, (laughs) and you get assigned a project of making a board of healthy meals to present or something like that like you know yeah yeah that's very it's giving definite middle school health class vibes (laughs) so um yeah so i was just like i've never noticed these random things fucking pasted like taped all (laughs) over the wall it's funny so joy is going through the family closet and says yeah i really miss being here but it's also kind of fun being at that house but not really so I'm a little confused as to where we actually land on this topic. <laughs> it's a little flip floppy. But Joy, you know, she loves her flips even when she's scaling rock walls. So, rock climbing. I, you know, yeah. It's a little flip flopping tracks for her. But it's this next part that throws me off. Jill asks if Joy knows whether Ginger had already like 
gotten hangers or not. And then Joy takes some shirts she's looking at and goes, I have two hangers right here. One, two. And she fucking chucks them over her shoulder. Like behind like her. Like at Jill. Metal hangers, mind you. Just check, like chucking them nonchalantly at her mother. Good thing. It's a good thing Jill was standing and not like on that level. Because like she could have fucking poked an eye out. You said <laughs> you could have poked an eye out. Poke your eye out. I um, uh, I didn't feel like there was. I didn't feel like it was as precarious a situation as it sounds like you did. It felt like it was a kid. I I mean, it was definitely a Joy Sass. No, I, I wrote down Joy Sass too. Yeah, but, but I, I it didn't feel she wasn't. For me, it just felt like angsty. No, I think it was angsty too. But I'm just like I was almost like like why are you fucking throwing them at her? Like I don't know. Yes, definite joy sass. I'm like, you can't be like a normal person and like make a pile and then hand them to her. <laughs> but she and she's throwing more too. Like it keeps going. So then Jill is like having to walk around the room, pick, pick them, them up <laughs> off the floor. And she goes, I guess those will work. And like kind of like chuckles. But I'm like, I would be like, could you fucking not? Like, I'm just, I'm looking at, if I was Jill, I would be annoyed. I'd be like, Are you, do you have to fucking throw them all over the fucking place? Could you not just be a normal human being and hand them to me? <laughs> oh, man. Little siblings. <laughs> I have no little siblings. That, that's a joke. You have a little lady. I do have a little lady. So later that night, the girls, Joe and JD, head over to the pest nest for dinner. Worth mentioning that there's... Some pants-wearing Jezebel there, too, that I'm not quite <laughs> sure who she is. Like, I don't recognize her. Wonder if... I, you know, I like, would Jim Bob stand for, like, such a bad influence on his girls without him being present? I mean, Jill wasn't allowed at the house without him there. And he's okay <laughs> with, like... Uh, the fact that you called her a pants-wearing Jezebel is hilarious. I don't know who she is, though. <laughs> That's going to be my go-to now. <laughs> Check out this pants-wearing Jezebel. <laughs> Pest says, Our house has kind of turned into kind of like a homeless shelter. Because Joseph and John come over to hang out sometimes. is why he says that. So, <laughs> little... All right. And Joe says he's had Anna's cooking quite a bit, and it's really good. Then it cuts to Anna cutting up Velveeta. And I instantly knew she was making chickenetti Because that is an Anna Keller specialty. Okay. It was confirmed that it is indeed, you know, chicken Eddie just seconds later. But I knew as saw as soon as I saw that waxy ass cheese. Like <laughs> I was like, oh, she's making chicken Eddie. I knew it. Velvita. Velvita. Now, if you don't remember the, the old woman from the Velvita commercials at the end, it was her holding the box and she would yell, Velvita. We say that a lot too. We don't even eat Velvita. We just work it into thing. I don't even understand like we don't even buy Velvita, but like and then we've worked oh, it into a way that we say other words. <laughs> yeah. Like, we don't even buy Velveeta, and we're like, Velveeta! Yep. Carnitas. Yeah, that's another one. That did. That's what we do. There you go. Yeah. Carnitas. So, um, okay, so then they ask Anna, in a talking head, how she gets along with the sisters, and she turns to Pest and says, I think, I think we get along great. I hope. Now, can I point one thing out real quick? Can yeah. I have a go back? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we don't really address kind of their like 
it's not a cold open because it's not a it's not a new scene. They clip together shit from the episode before they play the credits to kind of show you what's gonna happen. Yeah, and I feel like this episode more than any other episode I've seen felt like it was cut in a way to amp up the drama. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen it that way. It's uh-huh. never felt that dramatic. And they clip this scene where it's the you know them asking her like how do you get along with with Josh's sisters? And it's her going um and then they and cut then they really cut hard it. away from it. Yeah. And then later the on The drama. I know. And then later on we'll get to it. But later on they're on um they're all being interviewed for Good Morning America again. Or the Today Show. One the Today Show, that's what it is. And uh one of the kids is a little squirmy and has to get taken out. And then they cut to this like like obviously it was a point where Lego was like readjusting how he's sitting, but like he pursed his lips really hard and like looked down and looked disappointed. So they cut it to where it was like that kid had to get taken out of the scene and then he looked like mad about it or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I haven't felt like this show has been played up for drama that way. And that that part was weird. It's that season four. They got to, you know, they got to drum up something, you know? (laughs) Yeah. They're like, okay, they're like, we can't keep going to Aldi. Yeah. So they took it to a different grocery store in Little Rock, and now like they're like, now what else do we do? Okay, we need a little drama. Yeah. Oh, and pickles, throwing pickles. We've had yeah. a lot of pickles recently. It's how like they work this, in season four. Like this was when it got to this scene, I was like, okay, I want to see whether this is actually her being like, mm, uh, or if it, and it wasn't. It yeah. wasn't at all. Yeah. So anyway. So this is when I had put Jana speaks, but um, they ask her if she's close to Anna. Mm. And she says, I think I am pretty close with Anna. Yeah. She's a lot of fun to be with. And it's just so encouraging. And we can just talk with her as if she's one of our sisters. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not entirely super convincing. <laughs> like, you know. Now, can I ask you why? Well, no. It's just because the way she's like, I think I'm pretty close with Anna. Yeah. Like, it's it's a little bit like it's not. But I just want to say. It, it doesn't sound super convincing, but I don't feel like that's the fault of Jana or Anna. And, you know, at all. Mm. Um, besides the fact that just because someone is an in-law does not necessarily mean you have to be close to them. That's, that's I mean, in that's this system of control, I think it does. <laughs> that's But this is besides the point. That's besides the point. Mm. That's just something else. But my actual point is this whole thing moved so damn fast. Because remember, Pess and Anna got engaged without actually courting. And while maybe it feels longer, like a longer amount of time on our end, because they pump out so many fucking seasons and episodes in such a short period of time. Remember, just a few episodes back at Christmas time, they were saying it had been 18 months since their engagement. Mm-hmm. They've gotten married and had a baby since then. Yeah. So in a very short amount of time, you're experiencing these huge life changes. Suddenly you're married into a, you're, you're married to a fucking stranger and Im- immersed in their gigantic family. Mm-hmm. The fucking couple themselves don't know each other. So it's not like his sisters are going to know her that well either. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I yeah, I it's neither of their faults that they may not be like, oh, you know, know yeah. each other super well. But then also the whole she and she's just so encouraging part. That to me feels like when you can't think of something to say because maybe you don't know her that well or you don't have that deep of a relationship. You're just like throwing out some IBLP lingo. 
is like encouraging us. She's encouraging. Yep. And it's yep. like if they'd maybe kept the camera on her a little bit longer, she'd say she's like diligent and joyful too. Diligent, you know? joyful, not bitter at all. <laughs> exactly. Like it's just like just start throwing out yeah. some some of those character qualities, you yeah. know. It felt like Aladdin. He's trying to think of a think of a word to describe Princess Jasmine, and then he says punctual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely can't say that for Duggars. Fuck, that is not a Duggar character quality. I also feel, and now that we're starting to see um, talking heads with Jana a lot more, she seems like a quieter person anyway. Yeah, which is she why is. I think yeah. is which is why you have the other girls doing more talking heads. So I think part of it can also be chalked up to her. Being a little like awkward when it comes to being interviewed that way, you yeah. know what I mean? I know, I definitely. I'm just kind of looking this at this from Jana's end of like kind of like defending her of like if she's not like there's good reasons why you know. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll wrap this up soon. Who knew a single fucking sentence out of Jana would make me feel so many things? <laughs> but the very end part when she says, "And we can just talk with her as, as if she's one of our sisters," hits a little different because that doesn't mean much. With how we've learned that the girls admit that they didn't really have deep conversations because mm-hmm. it was actively discouraged by their parents. Yeah. And that their parents told them, like, there's certain things you just talk to us about. Mm-hmm. Makes it all very sad. Yeah. So saying she talks to Anna like a sister doesn't fucking mean much in this <laughs> context because yeah. even sisters can't talk freely to one another. Right. All their relationships are, like, super sur- surface, you know? Like, they're mm-hmm. not. And they're raised that way. Right. So I don't know. I was just like, I, that was just me digging into it. Like where I was like, oh, on Jana's end. I'm like, I could maybe see why you're like, um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we're fine. <laughs> because it's like what. It's very base she's just level. A, anyway, yeah, yeah. It's like, she's nice. Yeah. She's encouraging. <laughs> Back to the chickenetti making. Jill is losing her ever loving mind. Over Anna cooking the chicken with lemon pepper. She's very excited about this. <laughs> Um, girl's not used to flavor, so I'm sure in her world, lemon pepper is like fucking Exotic. Like, like wild. Yeah. She's like, woo. <laughs> like she was like, she's like, oh, it smells so good. Do you always put that on it? Like she was pumped <laughs> for the lemon pepper. She hasn't taken many trips to Flavortown. <laughs> no, she hasn't. You know, maybe driven by. <laughs> yeah, she's passed. They did go they to passed, that Ethiopian estate. They, so they, they passed drove- it in the bus. You know, it <laughs> yeah. was, you know. When they went to eat at the Ethiopian restaurant, they passed by Flavortown, but they've never really gone in. Yeah, yeah. they didn't like, <laughs> they didn't get off and stay and like yeah. tour. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know about you, Tim, but every time I think of lemon pepper, it makes me think of Tony Baker. Because <laughs> you were on that for a while where, where you were saying. He stopped posting those videos. You want to so, explain them? <laughs> short shout out Tony Baker's a stand up comedian, and he got kind of big on tiktok because he would do these voiceover videos from like animal tiktoks and then he would voice over what the animal was saying and it was an owl that was hanging out like out you know like the back of its little like cage thing and then when the the uh handlers came over and had like strips of meat it's him walk going over and being like ooh ooh and it like the owl gets all excited and like moves its head and like comes over and he's like what do we have here and he like bites into it and as he's eating he's like mm, what is that what is that adobo seasoning and then he grabs another strip of meat and like slowly eats it and he's like ooh what is that lemon pepper <laughs> So for a long time, Tim would randomly go, mm, that lemon pepper? Mm, what is that, lemon pepper? It's so good. So now Tony I, Baker. So now I can't 
hear lemon pepper without doing <laughs> lemon pepper. Is that lemon pepper? Uh, so Jill agrees. She's just <laughs> as excited as the owl about the lemon pepper. Big day. Uh, so they continue making the chicken eddy and cheese biscuits. And I want to point out the fact that there's like a metric ton of cheese and everything that they do in this dish. Yes. Because it was like you 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 melt the Velveeta and then you put this in there and then you put it on there and then it has parm in it and then somebody's grating cheese over the top as they're mixing it and then more cheese on top of that and then it goes in the oven and they were like, what else do you have? And then Anna goes, I'm making cheese biscuits. <laughs> it's a lot of cheese. Oh man, it's so I was cheese. like, are those kids like backed up? Oh, like, yeah. you know, there's a, like, I just imagine like a Velveeta cheese plug in their colon. Like, you know, <laughs> just like a, just like a little Velveeta, you know. Oh man. But yeah, because it's like Velveeta. I want to say, is it cream of mushroom or cream of chicken? Like mix it with like chicken. with like Rotel, and then like they melt that down, and then you mix that in with the noodles, and then you add more cheese, and and then cheese on top, and then it goes in the oven. Yeah. A lot of cheese. Yeah. It should and be cheese called bits. Cheese Eddie. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so I noticed it earlier, but I didn't write it down. But then luckily we saw it again, so we're good. But Ginger has some RBC in the background. <laughs> The other girls are helping in the kitchen with the cheese meal, um, mm. the cheese course. <laughs> and she's standing in the living room with her arms crossed with the resting bitch countenance, which I get it, girl. I am not judging. I, I, I suffer from the same affliction. So um, ginger face square, yep. I say, which has been seeing some serious action this season. <laughs> Once again, you... We're watching kind of things come into their own as the focus shifts more to the girls than it does Lego and Canon. You mm-hmm. know? I mean, they do everything. So who else would you who else <laughs> would you pay attention to? They're side characters in the story, <laughs> if anything. So right as they finish cooking dinner, Josh arrives home, and Jessa throws some shade in her talking head. <laughs> When they ask how Josh has changed since he's become a dad and husband, mm-hmm. and she motions like a, like a g- growing gesture, like a gaining weight, like your, her hands mm. going outward, and she goes like "ooh," like or something like or "whoa" or something like that, and laughs. And then Janice says he's put on a few extra pounds, which isn't too bad. But then she adds on, "I think he's matured more than what he was before, and he's a great father and really is doing a great job." Okay. Smooth. Yep. <laughs> and then they all sit down to eat their very beige, very cheesy, incredibly beige meal. <laughs> so there's that. Now it shoots back to Little Rock, and it's 4:45 a.m. And the Today Show is out the house at the house to film their their normal mm-hmm. like. And they had a baby. It's you know yeah. announcing a pregnancy, having a baby, and the t- which we saw know. a lot in the early days, and then didn't see for a little bit. Yeah. You know, on their show, so. And I think we get a two for bingo square here. Okay. I am proposing both a Lego has to parent and an our girl Johanna square as Lego is attempting to wake her up. Okay. I have one right before that. Oh, what's that? Damn. Hairspray. Oh, did it? Yeah, because oh. they showed, I don't remember which Doug girl it was, but she was hairspraying one of the the lost boy's hair. Okay, I saw gelling at one point, but I missed the spray. Yeah, she was standing standing there Damn, spraying. This, this so. is a good bingo square We episode. haven't had a good episode This is a like this good, was chock full. Did you have Lego has to parent written down? I did not, but I did agree? have our girl Johanna. I do. Okay. But I also, I, I, 
I am on the same wavelength having to wake up, kid. Ooh, the search begins. Okay, we found one. All right, we found them all. Okay. So in a voiceover, Jana says, or maybe it was Jill. I don't remember. I think I may have written down the wrong name. I can't remember mm-hmm. which one said One of the girls says it. Uh, like anybody fucking cares. But <laughs> usually my dad has to wake Johanna up like more than once because she just keeps falling asleep. She's not a morning person at all. Oh, uh, and she is, is ragdolling hard. It is comical. She doesn't even wake up a tiny little bit. She's just dead weight and like flopping backwards. Like homegirl yeah. is not having it. Yeah. So Hanny is us. <laughs> Who wants to wake up? That's me wanting to wake up in the morning. And I feel like we get a Duggar Times Square. Okay. How do you feel about that? I didn't have that down, but it makes sense. Because um, they're filming the kids still doing their hair and getting dressed. And Joe is talking oh, about yeah. how they go live in 15 minutes. And, and that instantly stresses me out. Like, I don't know why this stresses me out to watch, but it does. It's like, you this know, I, 14 like, years ago. I know, and I have nothing to do with it. It's like how I loved um, watching I Love Lucy growing up. And my mom was like, I can't watch that show. It stresses me out. And I was like, really? That's you and, now. and then now I'm like, oh, watching the Duggars fucking stresses me out. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm getting, I'm like, like, how are you about to go on live television national yep. in 15 minutes and you're still putting your fucking belt on? Yeah. Like, <laughs> These people have no concept of time at all, and it fucking makes me itch. Like, it's, I can't do it. I can't do it. And um, the reason for the square, though, is because just a split, split second later, I can see the stress in one of the crew members. Mm. And because he's gesturing and he's all, move this way, walk towards the light. Yeah. Like yeah. downstairs, trying to get them into place. Mm hmm. And then he's on the phone and he's like counting heads. And it's a very brief scene, but I can feel his stress. Yeah. Like his stress levels. 14 years in the future, I feel this man's stress of hurting Duggars, which is an exhausting task. Yeah. And because it's a because it's a live show, like you're you're having to make it to your spots ready to go when they are. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like there's no fucking second take. Like it's just yeah. you have to be ready. I mean, let's hope that, you know, another segment doesn't get cut short or something you know what i mean yeah so and i just wanted to point out that this guy is wearing a cell phone belt clip the stressed guy (laughs) which i enjoy anytime we see it on another person of course so the in the scene is showing them all sitting like getting ready for like in their spots for the segment and in a voiceover um baby cannon discusses the support that they've gotten and the prayers that they've received mm-hmm. and she also says you know there's also going to be the critics that are going to share what they think about our situation and that's okay we can learn we can learn from our critics boy do i have a podcast for you <laughs> you know like i she kind of started that talking about Josie specifically but if we're just talking like general criticism general, here oh yeah we got you covered lady <laughs> if you're looking for a critic to to learn from yeah we got material for you. We what got some, better place. We got seventy-seven. <laughs> you know, we got hours and hours and hours. Yep. So if you're looking for that, we got you. <laughs> um, so they're doing their spiel with Meredith, and we get a little one square mm-hmm. because Jana says, "Whenever one of the little ones is fussy, we have to take them out quickly. Usually they do pretty good, and it's just everyone, everyone once in a while." Um. They have their flare-ups, I guess. But do you know what I have to say about that? What's that? Fucking bingo. <laughs> she did it finally. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Wow. Mark this day. What day is it? <laughs> it is Monday, February 5th, 1.43 p.m. 70, episode 77. 77. Wow. There you go. How does it feel? Let's look at, let me look at, um, my heart is beating at 104 right now. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm rolling at a 104 from excitement. Wow. Yep. Did you get a bingo? Nope, I'm one short. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so Ginger is holding, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this high, guys. <laughs> so Ginger is holding Jordan and she starts to cry a little, so she walks off. And Ginger says that she asked a friend about it and they didn't notice that she disappeared. <laughs> So Ginger says, I was like, did you miss me? No. They didn't even know I was gone, so it worked out really good. Which seems par for the course for a daughter yeah, child. For you're a you're lost in the shuffle. Nobody yeah. fucking notices you're missing. Jackson was gone for how long in the airport? <laughs> you know, like nobody fucking notices. Oh. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. I am rolling that high. <laughs> good for you. Wow. This is exciting. What do I get? Um... The satisfaction of knowing you got one and now you just got to get... How many did I get that season? Four? Three four, or four? Three or four. I can't remember now. Is it three or is it four? So, I don't know. Something like that. You're, you're almost there. You're Whew, on the you're on a big the day, train. guys. Big day. <laughs> Mildred. She's she's asleep. Mildred is passed out. Yeah, she well, says... Uh, she's yeah, not good. sharing in my excitement. No. She says, yeah, good job, mom. Whew. <laughs> Uh, all that stress and all of all of that led to here. We finally made it, guys. Coming down, guys. I'm rolling at a 97 now. <laughs> the excitement's going away. <laughs> you know, I'll right. insert like a reggae horn on there or something, you know. Okay. But very nice. Nicely done. I was one short. Uh, I needed pickles. Ooh, two short. I was short one on pickle and one on Lego hands. Okay, so let me tell you guys what I got. I have Duggar <clears> time. I have our girl, Johanna. I have little ones. I have Joy Sass. And I have Lego has to parent. And I feel like that's a really satisfying first win because I did it without a fucking free square. It was a straight across all fucking five. No freebie bullshit. It was legit. Now she's trying to hype herself up. I mean, who else is going to do it? That's true. Mildred. You got you got to look out for yourself. You got to be your own hype girl, you know? Well, you know, it's a good thing that we don't rec- record the next part until tomorrow. I need some time to process, to you know, down to a calm bit. down. <laughs> Over 24 hours later, I'm still riding that high of that bingo win. <laughs> All right. So with the last couple episodes being more IBLP focused with the crazy ass school, I say that. <laughs> loosely that term is used loosely (laughs) school curriculum yeah um how even objects are good or evil all of that um has had me thinking about billy g a lot lately which is really an an unfortunate thing to admit out loud but it (laughs) but it is true it's had me thinking about him and it's just made me think about how fucking delusional he is Mm -hmm. like like, we know he's controlling and a predator, but the level of absolute delusion is just sticking out to me more so lately. Okay. I mean, he's a man who really thinks he's got it all. He he knows <laughs> it all. How could anyone else not see it? I mean, like, right. how could they even question the carpet? Like, I mean, it's just, <laughs> he, he knows it all. So with that said, t- today we're going to dig into Bill Gothard's history. 
we really only touched on it ever so briefly back in episode 11, which honestly, I was thinking that it was even earlier. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, was that, like, in my head, I'm like, was it episode four? It was 11. Um, but that episode's focus was really more on the inception and history of IBLP, more okay. so than Bill Gothard himself. Right. So I thought we'd focus more on him in the years leading up to the creation of IBLP. Okay. A few things here and there might sound a little familiar, but we didn't get too deep into anything on him previously. So all of this today will come um, with much more detail than anything you've heard before, including some details about his family, particularly his father, which I think helps you know shine a little light on why Bill turned out to be so Bill. Bill. <laughs> like, you know, like, why is he so Bill? Right. I think the most we've gone into it is when we were talking about the scandal. Yeah. And even then, it wasn't a lot about him. It was kind of how he reacted to things around him. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. Billy G, not my lover. <laughs> Billy G is not my lover. When you said it, that's all I've been thinking about. <laughs> so, fun fact, one of my main sources for today is the book The Amazing Way, The Complete Success to Lasting Wealth, to Total Health, to Great Joy, which this book came out in January 2010. So, okay. right in line with the timeline that timeline that we're in right now with the recapping, mm-hmm. because it was filmed in February 2010. Right. So that's just kind of a funny little thing there. But also, if you remember back to the Hobby Lobby Green family dig, which was mm-hmm. almost a year ago about this point, because I remember that was like last March, because I remember because mm-hmm. I was staying at my sister's house while I wrote that dig. <laughs> I remember. So um, this was the book that David Green endorsed, and it was in 2010 that David Green had that big event for Hobby Lobby employees where Bill came and spoke with each of with them, and every employee got a got a copy of the book Ooh. they got a swag little door prize so i just like to remind everyone like the little connections and when we've touched on things earlier mm-hmm. so that book um is just as it sounds from the title it's the supposed guide to how to live life successfully because you know he knows well yeah and in a nutshell it's all told through stories of his life we know he's a Big, big fan of the anecdotal story. (laughs) And that's pretty much what the entire book is. Him relating all of his teachings back, like, back to certain teachings to experiences in his own life. Okay. So it's not told in order like a, like an autobiography would. Mm -hmm. It's it's all over the place because it's kind of, he tells stories by this, by the teachings. Mm -hmm. But I pulled it all apart and took the things that were relevant and then kind of put it in order. And then I also referred to old posts from his website that I had a Wayback Machine, as well as old newsletters and some old Chicago Tribune articles. He pretty much tells all the same stories everywhere, but they each kind of vary in the amounts of details. So by combining them all together, you get like a the big picture. Mm-hmm. So Bill's dad, William Whitmore Gothard, was born October 17th, 1905 few little things about him he was valedictorian when he graduated from lane technical high school he then then went on to earn a degree in civil engineering from armor institute which apparently is now the illinois institute of technology okay william married carmen christina torres may 14th 1930 and i really couldn't find much about his mom's background Hmm. but that's on par i mean who are women before getting married and having children? <laughs> and then when they do get married and have children, what it, what are they besides like a mother and a wife, you know? Like 
What else? What else is there to know? So right. that felt very. I'm like, well, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. So Carmen was born November fifteenth, nineteen oh eight. So they were about twenty one and twenty four when they married. The couple got to baby making and had Anne Jeanette in nineteen thirty two, and then Laura in early nineteen thirty four, and then Carmen very quickly got pregnant for a third time. Bill loves telling the story of how his mother's good friend asked how they could possibly afford having a third child in three years in the middle of the Great Depression and referred her to a doctor that could perform an abortion. You ready for the big reveal? Uh Uh-oh. She did not get an abortion. Bum, bum, bum. And that third child was none other than William Gothard Jr. I know you didn't see that coming. Insert jokes here. So Carmen had a second child that same year, giving birth to Bill, November 2nd, 1934. So like I said, Bill loves to tell this story. It's everywhere. And in the book, he said, quote, I am very grateful that my mother had a love for children that was stronger than concern over finances. If she, if she had listened to that friend, I would not be in the world today and you would not be reading this book. And we wouldn't have this podcast. <laughs> That's true. Thank you, Carmen. <laughs> What's interesting to me, though, is he's never given any more details that lead me to believe his mother was actually considering it. Okay. Like, there's no, like, well, she thought about it and then decided not to, or she went to that doctor, but last minute decided not to go through with it. There, there aren't any details that give any weight to lead me to believe that it was something beyond a comment from a friend. Okay. But, you know, it's a story, so... Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, pl- you gotta plus it a yeah. little bit, as Walt Disney would say. <laughs> yeah. And it, it very much reminds me of um, when the Duggars would go out wearing their I Survived Roe versus Wade shirts. Mm, yeah. And it's like, honey, you, <laughs> you never had to worry about that. <laughs> like, it's not a story of survival if it was never even on the table as an yeah. option. Yeah. And that's totally fine that it mm-hmm. wasn't. But don't say you survived something that you weren't ever up against. Like, that's yes. just silly, you know? It's overly dramatic. Yeah. So this kind of feels like that. And I'm like, was it more, like, I, was your mom really, like, it doesn't sound like it to me. It sounds no. like it's just plussed up. So um, it appears as though those back-to-back pregnancies made William and Carmen pump the brakes a little bit. Okay. He pumped his pumping. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> Because it was five more years before they had David in 1939, then Joan in 1942, and finally Stephen, who we know a little bit about, in 1946, for a grand total of six kids with Bill being smack dab in the middle. Okay. All right. So now that we've gotten the family tree out of the way, let's get into his childhood. Bill had a hard time in school. So much so, in fact, that in the first grade, his teacher called him out into the hallway one day and said... Billy, how would you like to be a leader in first grade next year? Seemingly trying to soften the blow of him having to be held back a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he was like, yeah, he's like, I wanted to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, towards the end of his second year, going through the first grade, the teacher presented him with the same offer. But they ended up passing him on to the second grade anyway. Okay. Uh, As far as faith goes, Bill says at some point his mother became a believer, um, but he didn't provide too much more detail about that that I could find. Okay. 
Like she really got into Justin Bieber. Yeah. Right. Yep. But um, she was trying to get her husband on board to be a believer as well. So <laughs> one particular day, Bill's father was working on remodeling their basement into a rec room. We like to call those rumpus rooms. When his mom came downstairs and asked him if he'd like to go with a group from the church to a meeting at the Pacific Garden Mission. Bill recalls seeing his father bristle with anger. That's how he describes it. Okay. Before turning to her and saying, if I wanted to spend time around drunkards, I would go down to Skid Row and live there. Besides, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to convert me, convert me to your beliefs. I don't need that. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I've gone to church all my life. I am fine. He Seems re- a little Ross Geller there. <laughs> I'm fine. And allegedly that wasn't the end of it. And he followed it up with, and just remember, if our mar- marriage breaks up, it will be your fault. Very dramatic. That, okay. And he remembers so much of it. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing, though. Um, Bill is so hard up for stories. I just have a hard time believing them yeah um i'm not saying that none of them happened because i could i could never know that but i struggle to believe them all or at the very least that they went down exactly as he claims yeah like i just i struggle with that a little bit and we know bill loves to tie things up into neat little black and white packages Mm -hmm. so what do you know just a few weeks later his parents were listening to a sunday night radio program called songs in the night which was put on by the nearby Western Springs Village Church. A student from Wheaton College, if you remember that connection, was giving a message, and that student's name was Billy Graham. So this was Billy Graham before he was the Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. He's just in college. And Billy Graham graduated from Wheaton in 1943. So while I don't have an exact marker, we're somewhere in the early 40s here. Okay. So we're placing Bill's probably around six, maybe seven. I don't know, something like that. At the end of the other Billy G's message, allegedly Bill Sr., so many Bills and so many G's. A like, lot there, of Bills. There's a lot of Bill G's happening right now. <laughs> um, so allegedly Bill Sr. said, quote, If this is what it takes to become a Christian, I will do it. And then he knelt down on their kitchen floor and called upon the Lord to save him from his sin and pride. And make him a new person in Christ. So Billy Graham was doing the work even before he was Billy Graham. Wow. So fast forward a few years. Billy G, uh, Gothard, not Graham, is now 11 years old and in the fifth grade. When one day he woke up and decided he would go the whole day without doing or saying anything wrong. But by the end of that day, he felt like he had done even more wrong than normal. But no worries, he'd just try again the next day. But he says the next day went even worse. So now is when he starts to worry a little bit about getting into heaven. And much like his father's come to Jesus story, mm-hmm. it's very convenient that it's just a few days later. Everything's just so like closely timed together. <laughs> like, you know, this all happened um, in a three day span. Very convenient that just a few days later later his mother suggests that he attend a Child Evangelism Fellowship Bible Club. That is quite a long name for children. (laughs) Child Evangelism Fellowship Bible Club meeting (laughs) that was being held on their block. 
So Bill attends and the woman that's teaching the class announces that they're going to be talking about Abraham and asks if anyone knew who that was. Bill shoots his hand up in the air. She calls on him him, and he blurts out, Abraham Lincoln. And all the kids laughed at his answer. Is this like his, uh, like, like the Bill? Was, <laughs> like, I feel like it's like the... Like, if you look at, sto- like, traditional storytelling, you have the hero's journey. This is the call to action. Yeah. Like, this is what started him on there. By the way, still not my lover. <laughs> so, despite his lack of knowledge and being laughed at, Bill really enjoyed the class, and he liked the Bible stories, and the way she told them, he was like, it felt like I was right there in the stories. He was at the edge of his proverbial pew. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, and also in this class, he learned about being born again. So that night he knelt in his bedroom and accepted Christ as his savior. The end. <laughs> That's it. Nothing. <laughs> That's... And nothing else interesting <laughs> happened to or because of him ever. Ever. Mm-hmm. That's it right there. He just, yeah. he, you know, accepted cool. Christ and that's it. Well, if you like what you're listening to, uh, feel free to buy us a pickle. <laughs> Shortly after, his family begins attending church, and they're like, it, like the wording is like a, a Bible believing church. And I'm like, aren't like every time everybody says that, I'm like, it's like when you ask someone, you're like, what, you know, like if you're like, well, what are you? Or like, what denomination? Well, I'm Bible believing. And it's like, well, okay then. Like, you know, like I just, all right. Because the rest of them say they don't believe in the Bible. Yeah. The, ever, the rest of them, they're not Bible believing, but it's just you. We're uh, we're a church, but we only believe in mastering the art of French cooking by Julia Child. So, <laughs> so they start attending church right after that because now it's like, well, you know, the whole family's getting on board, right? <laughs> and overall, things just seem to get more serious. Okay. And listen, I have no doubts whatsoever that from then on, Bill could have become deeply religious even as a child. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't doubt that. But again, my doubts are more so rooted in how conveniently these stories all line up and conveniently illustrate something he's teaching. So mm. that's where I, I don't know. Yeah. But it's now when all of a sudden he paints every fucking thing in his life as this pinpointed moment where he makes a vow, you know. And it, I'm really, like, you were just making vows left and right at as a 12 year old like you know it's just a little sus for me Mm -hmm. but i'll lay out the stories and you can all decide for yourself okay so remember how bill's mom tried to get his dad um you know the day that she went down to the rumpus room Mm -hmm. uh, she was trying to get him to go with people from the church to the pacific garden mission well after accepting christ as his savior thanks to the other billy g right um bill senior not only starts going he actually became the chairman of the mission's board of directors. Hanging out with drunkards, eh? <laughs> well, the people that are trying to help the drunkards. <laughs> so, you know, it's different. Uh, and just as a little side story before we get into Bill's vows, it was actually during Bill Sr.'s time serving on the board that they started the Unshackled radio program, okay. which produces dramatic performances of the testimony of someone who converts to Christianity. People send in their stories, and they reenact them in episodes, you know, dramatically. <laughs> so Unshackled still exists even today. Is Okay. It's one of the longest-running radio programs in history. Oh. 
So I bring this up not only because it's just an interesting fact, being one of the longest running radio shows ever, but also it shows the shift in Bill Sr. But more importantly for me personally, I look at it as something that could have had a profound influence on Billy G. Jr. Okay. Watching his dad be a part of basically starting a radio ministry that drew people in with drama, but make it Christ-centered. Right. So he's watching how episode after episode, they they turn stories into a performance, Mm -hmm. even if it's a Christ-centered story. (laughs) It's literally taking it, making it dramatic, and making it a performance. Yeah. And I don't think it's too big of a stretch to think that this could be a moment where he kind of starts rubbing his brain cells together Mm -hmm. and realizes that, oh, like, turning things into grand, dramatic story, you know, storytelling is a major Mm -hmm. selling point that can be used in ministry. Right. So that's what stuck out to me. So back to it. Bill is about 12 when his dad brings him along on a Saturday night meeting in Chicago. Um, While his dad is praying with some of of the men at the end of the meeting, Billy G wanders off into the streets of Chicago to look around and in front of a store, he finds one of those like viewer things that you put like you put a nickel in. You and can you like look, see across the bay. Well, you can look into it, but it boasted spectacular sights. So he puts in his nickel, and Bill describes what he actually saw in the viewer as disillusioning. And he felt cheated out of his nickel. Okay. And I'm going to read. Dramatic. Man. <laughs> He's full of drama. Drama, drama. <sighs> and I'm going to read you this next part directly. I looked across the street at the gaudy, glaring lights of a theater marquee. They were advertising... So this is after he's been disillusioned, okay? Oh, okay. They were advertising a spectacular film. See, the same wording as his spectacular sight. And I thought to myself, that movie is probably as disillusioning as the viewer on which I lost my nickel. I quietly made a vow that I never again would go into a movie theater... Not even for a good movie. Quite the story, wow. huh? Okay. Like, I can see a kid getting pissy about, you know, kind of getting robbed of their nickel, you know? Mm-hmm. But this dramatic vow... Mm... And what does it have to do with, <laughs> like, the movie theater? Because it's they use the same wording, spectacular. So he's like, so well, he's... they're selling bullshit, too. So he's not a big fan of Spider-Man... <laughs> no no definitely not didn't like this spectacular be like spider-man well do you run. know what you know how like um like uh what's his face uh when we're talking kurt cameron ray comfort and mm. and and kurt cameron when they debated the atheist and like they were showing like the half duck half like whatever things, yeah they would be like spider-man is like evolution you know <laughs> half spider half man no oh my goodness but so it's this whole thing of like oh well it's like they both said that they're spectacular so but it's like why don't you why isn't your issue about like fucking viewers but now you're like <laughs> it's movies because i looked across the street and it had the same word on the marquee so it's movies i vowed to never watch again see i would have blamed nickels myself mm, i you know i, I mean think, that's what i took from that story is never use a nickel i i can get down with that more than then mm-hmm. suddenly it being about the movie theater yeah. that didn't do anything yep i'll still go to a movie but you won't catch you will catch me dead before you catch me using a nickel what if you get one like cash back i immediately throw it on the floor got it mm-hmm. you're you're like i'm disillusioned yep i just yell disillusioned and then i drop my change on the floor got it mm-hmm 
So, uh, or my other thing though is, even if this really did happen, just as he describes it, vow and all, okay? He's just a weird fucking kid <laughs> who's uber dramatic and can't handle the slightest inconvenience or disappointment when things don't go exactly his way. Mm-hmm. So my point Which is... we've all known a child that way, let's be real. But my point is, these are both very possible, but either way, it's just... Just because it's possible does not mean it's probable. Either scenario being the true one. He's dramatic. <laughs> yeah. They, bo- they all boil down to he's a drama queen. Right. So I'm going to hit you with one more vow. So now Bill is 13 and his two older sisters, Anne and Laura, were talking about how a boy from their youth group dated a girl and kissed her. Oh, my. The girl was all in and gave her heart to him, as Bill describes. But a few weeks later, the boy was moving on to another girl. Back in those days, he's like, moved on to another dame. (laughs) Quote, she was crushed and soon walked away from the Lord and into a life of immorality. All from a, all right. Wow. Must have been some kiss. (laughs) Right? As I listened to my sister's remarks about their abhorrence of what had done to damage her life, I made a vow that I would never kiss a girl until we were married. God has used this vow not only to keep me from kissing a girl, but also to remind me to avoid taking advantage of her in any way. Not true. He is taking advantage of women. Um, On several occasions, girls have given me clear opportunities to violate my moral standards. He's trying to like, he's like, I'm like, oh, he's, uh, he's, (laughs) oh, he's making conflating shit up to make him sound like a Lothario. To clear, throwing themselves at me. Clear opportunities to violate my moral standards. These women are just like, you know, Left and right. It's, throwing themselves at Bill Gothard. I can't walk 10 feet. Without <laughs> a woman just throwing herself at me. My response has been, do I want to be married to this girl for the rest of my life? The answer was always no. See, he's just turning them down. He doesn't need a dame. <laughs> 13-year-old Billy G was a heartthrob. Therefore, I said to myself, then there is nothing more to think about, is there? So I think this story is a major way to prop himself up and be like, number one, oh, the ladies love me. Number two, like, look how moral I was making this vow at 13. Like, right? I'm just so new, moral. Do we have a new king of beats? We might. He was like the JTT of his time, you know? <laughs> so he has a ton more vow stories throughout this entire book. But I think that does. those paint the picture enough that we can move on. Maybe some other vows will come up under other topics and digs in the future. But like, mm-hmm. it's got a story for everything. Everything comes down to a vow. Fucking TV, porn. Everything's like a moment where he was like, I was in a store and then I vowed. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's oddly masturbatory. Yeah. Oh, no, no. That, you can't do that either. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> but you did. <laughs> so... We're at this middle school age now in the timeline. And I use those two as examples because they fell in line with like going through his, you know. So middle-aged and Bill has continued to struggle with school all these years. Kind of squeaking by and getting passed on to the next grade. Maybe even when he shouldn't have been. Kind of like that second year of first grade. Mm. And shortly before he was set to be joining his older sisters at the local high school. Apparently they said... Next year, you'll be coming to high school, 
if you make it. And we will be known as the sisters of the dumbbell. Got him. <laughs> They're all a little dramatic. <laughs> so Bill says this comment motivated him to work really hard in school. So he spent his first couple years of high school doing homework and studying for five to six hours a night. And yet still his grades were average at best. Then one day, a family friend by the name of Mrs. Maley, who Bill describes as a godly woman, asked him, Bill, would you like to really be successful in your life? And of course he says he would. Meh, I'm good. Yeah, yeah I'm right. <laughs> he says he would. And she said, you can do it by memorizing large portions of scripture. So she gives him a book that contained passages of scripture. And every week he would quote them to her and explain how he tried to apply them in his life. Unknowingly, he says he was learning to apply God's word in his life daily. Sound familiar? <laughs> Very IBLP about how oh, yeah. everything in life is through the lens of Christ and how mm -hmm. you're your education is godly or godless and you know mm -hmm. it's very like you see the see the little the things. little starts of it yeah when his next report card rolled around for the first time he had mostly a's he went on to excel in school becoming a member of the national honor society and overall he just describes himself as becoming successful in everything he did from then on out he entered a national science contest and won an award with his project on metallography. He entered a scripture press book writing contest and won an award with them too. His art teacher entered an art project that he made in her class into a national art contest, which not only won him another award, but it was also featured in a traveling exhibit in cities across the nation. Then when the LaGrange Art Club heard about that they gave him a scholarship to attend a summer course at the chicago art institute where he took a course in layout and design which okay. he was like has really helped me throughout my life and i'm like oh putting together your wonderful iblp stuff <laughs> like oh great <laughs> so bill was really feeling himself um i'm sure actually he probably like we said earlier probably vowed not to do that either probably not allowed yeah <laughs> so uh bill is not feeling himself um <laughs> So, while I'm sure he was feeling himself, Bill, you know, he's a humble guy. And he said, I really felt that I had an unfair advantage over the other contestants because of my understanding of God's promise to those who meditate on his law day and night. Okay. Just, he's like, I mean, I know, like, I'm just great at everything, but it's it's a little unfair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, once he stopped focusing on giving his heart away. You know, and all these women throwing themselves at him. He was able to do all these spectacular things. Yeah. Sorry, not spectacular. He was able to do all these perfect things. <laughs> yeah, spectacular. He probably hates that word. Like, yeah. I'm going to look now to see if I ever see the word spectacular in any of his writings. So, uh, a couple things about this. So, this shift from the major struggle busing in school to now doing well, which he attributes to di he, uh, directly to memorizing and meditating on scripture is kind of the first real example of cause and effect, which we know he's big into, <laughs> like, um, you know, everything is a direct, has a direct consequence, good or bad. Nothing is j just black and white. Like, I feel like this story he tells 
to me kind of feels like the sort of genesis of that mindset. Okay. You know, it's like, well, I I studied the scripture and then look what happened. See that cause and effect. I wasn't doing that before and I sucked in school. I started doing it and look, all these wonderful things start happening. (laughs) So I feel like this really is like the origin of that mindset. It feels very, I don't know if you know this story, but like in North Korea, Kim Jong-il, which is Kim Jong-un's father, um, the story that was told that was put out in like national news was that he had never golfed before. He went to play the like ultra, like really long kind of difficult course that's in the capital. And it took him 34 strokes to play an 18 hole golf course. That's difficult, which means he got like five or six hole in ones. And then he never played golf ever again. Okay. That was what the news put out about him. They were like, this is what he did today. Never played golf, picked up golf clubs for the first time, shot five hole-in-ones or six hole-in-ones. The only challenge is nobody was there. Um, That's how this feels. (laughs) Like, that's that's how all of this feels. Oh, so nobody saw this happen. Like, oh, no, of course (laughs) not. I thought you were gonna. I thought this was going a different direction. I was. I thought you were gonna say that that's what they said, and it ter- turns out that he'd been golfing for like for fucking ever. No, <laughs> there's no way that anybody human on the planet would be able to play eighteen holes of golf and get six hole in ones. <laughs> it's it's physically impossible. But he did it. What are you talking about? <laughs> he says it, so it happened. Exactly. Um, another aspect that is interesting to me is this like this act of being oh so humble because he's only getting all this success from meditating on god's law day in and day in and day out you know oh yeah but at the same time using this to prop himself up later as like the man who knows all like he's the expert he knows exactly how to achieve all successes in life if you just do xyz so he knows exactly what everyone in the world everywhere should be doing and how you know but like humbly of course yeah so the dichotomy of that is wild to me it's like <laughs> oh i'm only getting this because of the lord but but i know everything yeah like <laughs> okay oh my goodness i mean at least humble about it so it's like you know i love the lonely island the lonely island they were the guys that put out like the dick in the box videos on SNL and they all worked at SNL. Um, they made a movie called pop star about Andy Samberg being like, like a really big pop star that like abandoned his old like songwriting buddies and stuff. But the, the hit that he has on that movie is called I'm so humble. And all of the song is just him bragging, but under the guise of saying that he's so humble, like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm just so humble. Yeah. That's what this reminds me of. Very much. So a little more on Bill's high school years. Back in episode 11, you got the like one sentence cliff notes of how Bill noticed and was concerned for his peer making wrong choices. Mm. You know, making bad choices. Bad choices. So that was like all I said back in that dig. But let's get into this more <laughs> because there's there's more to it. Bill was always trying to save souls. Okay. He claims that up to 120 students would meet at his house nearly every Tuesday his whole four years of high school. I assume for some sort of Bible study or something. But I have my doubts about up to 120. <laughs> do you 
do you think they got like 120 fucking kids showing up to his parents like little house and fucking when he was how old <laughs> 14 through 8 you know like like oh they're you know up to 120 i'm like are you adding up the whole four years like you know (laughs) it's a little sus to me but one year he even sent birthday cards to each student with a message happy birthday the greatest gift i could give you is news on how to give (laughs) on how to have a second birthday by being born again oh my goodness he also conducted telephone surveys asking students what they thought was the most important things in life and then sending a little booklet which explained that the greatest thing in life was a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I bet even in an era where people were decidedly more religious, they were pro- I feel like the rest of the student body was like, you know the kid that's like super... He's still... He's so like that kid. It's you like, oh, God, here like it goes. super religious. <laughs> he's that kid. And I just want to say, particularly the whole birthday card thing, I don't do... I don't do well with that kind of shit at all. I am actually... Like, I'm being like dead serious. I'm very bothered by so-called like gestures or mm-hmm. acts or even conversations being a means to push something else Mm -hmm. like i can't stand it because it feels so incredibly disingenuous yeah and it fucking irks me Mm -hmm. to my core like if i got a card in the mail wishing me a happy birthday i'd be like oh my gosh that's so nice but then as i veered into the greatest gift he could give me is being born again you've fucking lost me you know Mm -hmm. i no longer believe that birthday wish to be genuine Mm -hmm. it was just your in Mm-hmm. To get to me so that you could then push whatever you needed to. And you could tell me all fucking day, oh, no, but it was genuine. I will never believe you after that. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't convince me. I'd be like, okay. like. Yeah. And I actually want to give. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to tell a story because it reminds me of. I remember seeing this on the Internet like three, four years ago. And then we got it at the hotel I used to work at. And what it was was when you put down like at a restaurant when you go to pay with a credit card or a debit card and they give you the slip for you to fill out the the gratuity. And then what it is is it's a piece of paper that looks like dollar bills. And the whole idea is that you like put it underneath the book so it looks like there's money sticking out of the bottom. And then when you go to pull it out, it's actually a printed picture of like some fanned out money and then when you open the back it's like a quote from the bible and then on the front it says something like the greatest gift you can give is like eternal life or something like that that bothers me because the time that i saw it at the hotel i was at it came with no gratuity Mm -hmm. and when i had seen it on the internet it was also a relatively large bill that had no gratuity added but then that was put there they're That's just giving not... you the greatest gift they can give you. <laughs> yeah. The greatest tip you can get. So this actually, because of how deeply bothered, I, I have two real life examples from my life where this happened to me. One which is religious in nature and the other isn't. But the first one, when I was a teenager and I was a waitress at Johnny Rockets, there was a night that I was waiting on a table that it was like a husband and wife, a younger couple, mm-hmm. but husband and wife one, I can't remember if there's at least one, maybe two young kids, right? Mm-hmm. They were so nice. We chatted a lot of the time. Like, I would stop and kind of stay longer. And, you know, we had, like, decent conversation. 
And then towards the end, when I'm like bringing them their bill, all merp, <laughs> merp bill. Now I'm over here. So bringing them their bill, all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, I'm a youth pastor, and we're having this blah blah blah. Would you like to come and like join us or whatever?" And I was like, "Did you really care about like talking to me yeah. and like you know like in that moment like I for me it kind of erased everything where I was like." Mm-hmm. And they could tell me, no, 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 no. We just really like talking to you, so we wanted to invite you to this thing. But you've lost me because I'm just yeah. like, it feels like that was all to just get me comfortable to talk to you, mm-hmm. to now to get me in. Mm-hmm. So that's one that is religious in nature, and this other one happened probably six months ago. So very, very recent. Mm-hmm. I was in line at Goodwill as I do, <laughs> and um, the, there's a lady in front of me. And she was like, wow, you look like you have really great stuff. And I was like, yeah, I was really excited about this. And she's like, oh, it looks like you have a lot of vintage. And I said, yeah, actually, I collect vintage. Big vintage fan. It's like, and I'm actually even right now trying to kind of like turn it into a thing. Like I'm trying to like sell. Mm-hmm. And and then she goes, oh, well, you know, I actually work getting helping women. stay." Cause, and I said something along the lines of like, and it's nice because now I'm like, I kind of do this from home and I'm not, you know, and she goes, I actually work in, in um, helping women be at home. Can we get together for coffee sometime to go over? Can you give me your phone number? And then we can go over and I can tell you all the details. So she's trying to sell me something, some sort of, I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know. If, like, I didn't even let her keep going long enough to know if like, I'm like, are you talking about some fucking MLM? I'm probably, or something like that. But like, twisting at is and like well i help women stay at home but i was like that makes me feel like that entire conversation was just waiting for your moment just Mm -hmm. for your moment and when i said that oh it's actually cool because now i'm staying home and doing this thing it's like oh well i also oh she said home and like and like talked about business and like you know Mm -hmm. and it just negated and i'm like why did you have to go and do that it completely negated the entire pleasant and conversation Mm -hmm. That we'd been having. Yeah. Because now you're trying to sell me something. Yep. So two, it's just a tactic, a tactic and a technique and whatever you want to call it, whatever one that I just cannot get down with because it's all just a way to get in mm-hmm. and then hit a person with whatever your real motive is. Yeah. Whether it be religion or a fucking MLM or whatever the fuck this lady was trying to sell me and it just pisses me off. Yeah. So like hit that when I read the birthday card thing. Mm-hmm. I, like, had a visceral reaction. I was fucking pissed. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, this nice guy sending his student body birthday cards. He didn't give a fuck about your birthday. Yeah. Yep. Any hoozle. Back to Bill in high school. So he's that guy. And, you know, trying to save all of his classmates 24-7. When on February 2nd, 1952, at 10.50 in the morning, I'll explain why he knows these exact details a little later. Okay. While he's in his third period class, a student aide from the main office comes in and gives his teacher a green slip. But remember, you got to keep it drama. (laughs) Drama sells, even if it's Christ. Mm -hmm. So now that I've set the basics for the scene, I want to read you his exact wording of it, though. Quote, the door of my third period class burst open and a student aide from the main office rushed in. Okay. So it's all very frantic and <laughs> dramatic. So the green slips were for students who were in trouble. So after his teacher handed it to him, 
His classmates exclaimed, Bill, what did you do? Bill wrote, quote, I looked at the green slip and noticed that it had been signed by the school principal and the school superintendent. I could not miss the exclamation mark after the word now. So Bill was led into the superintendent's office where he was asked, Bill Gothard, are you running a prayer meeting in this school? Apparently, a few days earlier, about 20 students had asked to meet in the cafeteria before school to encourage each other for the day. Okay. Which <laughs> youth shit always has like the <laughs> fucking corniest names. Like my friend went to cross trainers on Fridays. No, my on Friday mornings before school. So I feel like if these kids were meeting for encouragement, I feel like they would have been like, <laughs> it would have been like encouragement encounter or something. <laughs> encounter is another word that they use a lot. Like, you know, so, mm-hmm. so, you know, he, you know, he was, he was hosting an encouragement encounter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> When two students who weren't a part of the normal encouragement crew, they're, they're not used to encountering, um, joined in and, quote, when they heard the gospel, they both received Christ as their savior. So we all had bowed our heads in prayer as they prayed to receive Christ. Do you think that really happens that fast? Like suddenly people are just like, hey, here's a couple words of encouragement. And they're like, oh, my God, it just happened. Like, it seems very fast. That's like... Uh, oh my god it just happened i feel like that's like uh it's like christian premature ejaculation like it's just like so fast before they even got started all of a sudden they're like okay okay i say like he just it just happened did it do you think he do you think little billy g was like the the guy that hits the people with the jacket have you seen that Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. think that was him, but he was hitting him with words of encouragement? Mm, I, and, pro- like, whole groups of them are falling down. That's the only thing like- that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's more. Um, during this prayer, he said, I happened to look up at the cafeteria doors, which, why are you looking around during prayer, Bill? My dad used to, my dad would yell at me if, like, I looked up. And I'm like, why are you looking at me? Like, he'd be like, because he'd tell me, like, I'm not being reverent. Like, so if, like, I opened my eyes and, like, looked up, he'd be like, you're not being reverent. I'm like, you're looking at me to see it. It doesn't make any sense. So, okay. So he sees, he's looking around, apparently, during prayer. And he sees the heads of two teachers go by the little window in the door. And then they backed up and looked up at their group with wide eyes, he says. Oh, my. No doubt they had informed the superintendent of what was happening. I did not think the superintendent wanted all of this explanation, so I simply said, yes, sir, to, you know, was, were you running a prayer, you know? Right. So the superintendent responded, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to convert the whole school to your religion, aren't you? Yes. Um, he says he tried to explain that his goal was to help his fellow students experience a relationship like he had with Jesus Christ. Not to convert them to any religion. The superintendent said, I know that I cannot stop you from meeting on public property for peaceful purposes. But if you do not stop your prayer meetings, I'm going to send a letter to every family in this town telling them what I think of your program. I feel like... No, go ahead, finish. I'll wait till the end. Bill tells him... um, He never intended to create a problem and would move their meetings somewhere else. 
He also claims that the next week, the superintendent called a group of the most popular students in the school to his office and warned them not to be involved with Bill or any of his programs. Now, remember how earlier I commented on how he had all those exact details on this Mm -hmm. whole green slip thing? Yeah. That's because he saved the green slip that was brought to him. Okay. Which to me speaks to how he knew this would make for a great inspiring story of overcoming persecution. Mm, of course. Like, let me hang on to this little, like, uh, <laughs> it's like, like, like a token, you know, like, yeah. like, like mm-hmm. <laughs> visual aid, you yeah. know? And I don't think it's a stretch to believe to believe that as the subsection title of the book where he tells this story is enjoy rewards for being reviled. And I don't think he merely enjoyed it. I think he got off on the whole thing Mm -hmm. because he's like, this is the best thing that could happen. This makes for a great story. Yep. Cause they're always looking for a story. It's where, it's where Gil gets it from (laughs) cause it's better for ministry. And you know, Mm -hmm. it makes it all sound so much more honorable and inspiring if you've overcome being reviled by others first. Yeah. It's like, look at, oh, look at everything he overcame. Like, what an inspiration. <laughs> so it's like he, he gets off on it. Like, he was yeah. like, let me save this piece of paper because it's, you know. I feel, I feel like the way that he's recounting these other people talking to him is the way that, like, bullies in a Disney Channel original movie would be written. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I always think about, like, Brink. The one that was about rollerblading. Like Eric Von Detten. <laughs> like the bullies are so outlandish and over the top that you're like, no human being is really like this. And I feel like that's kind of the kind of the way that he's going. Like not saying that this obviously if he has a, a green slip, it didn't, you know, something happened. But some of the things he's definitely pump like, up some dramatics here. Like I just don't think he that hit there's... six hole in one is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. In 1953, during Bill's senior year, someone from the Future Scientists of America Foundation called the superintendent and said to him, We are pleased to inform you that one of your students has won a high honor in a Future Scientists of America contest, and we would like to present your school with a plaque. Could you arrange this? So the superintendent arranges it, only to find out that the award was for none other than his Arch nemesis, Bill Gothard. <laughs> Gothard! <laughs> Bill's not the only one that can add some drama. So I'm going to add some. His arch nemesis. Um, Bill, he really did enjoy being reviled, saying, quote, I can only imagine how he must have felt coming before all of the students and giving a tribute to me for winning that award. So, you know, Bill overcomes again. Got him. And side note, um, the irony of Bill Gothard winning a Future Scientist of America award was not lost on me. (laughs) The man whose future science curriculum would include lessons such as, how does a volcano illustrate the characteristics of anger? How do magnets (laughs) illustrate our inability to serve two masters? Oh my goodness. How does lion taming relate to turning the other cheek? Or finally... How does the turkey vulture demonstrate blessing those who curse you? 
how this man doesn't have a Nobel like prize for science blows my mind. I'm sure that's the exact type of science that uh, future science tests of America people were going for. I'm I'm sure of it. That is exactly. They were like, this man has vision. <laughs> but I'm not done with Bill and the superintendent. Or should I say he's not done with him? Because he's fucking obsessed with this guy. He's got a real hard on for this guy. Damn. He wrote, in my senior year of high school, my classmates voted to give a scholarship of appreciation to one graduating fellow and girl from our class of more than 400. During the ceremony, the superintendent called out my name for me to come up and receive that unexpected gift. So one could say Bill was uh, reveling in being reviled. Sounds to me like he's like fucking... He oh, he's it. rolling in it, yeah. <laughs> he definitely is. And Bill, um, humble again, continued, Out of all of the events conducted during my four years in high school, I was able to attend only part of one football game. However, my classmates knew that I was committed to helping them in their personal lives. Oh, that man. <laughs> so magnanimous. <laughs> that man. <laughs> so, closing out Bill's high school years... He was offered a partial scholarship to Harvard, which he did not take. Too worldly, I assume. Yeah. I'm making yeah. an assumption, but mm. you know. I do want to tell a story about Bill Sr. that I think is really important, but I'm not... like I'm. It's very unclear exactly when in Billy G's youth it took place. Okay. Bill tends to have a confusing writing style where he flips back and forth in timelines like several times in the telling of one story. <laughs> so it's like, because so like if he's not giving years, but usually I can pick up on other context clues to kind of, mm. but I'm, I, I, I don't know. Um, at one point, it, it just makes it hard to gauge. At one point I was like convinced that it was when he was in high school. And then later I was like, wait, no, I think he might be younger. So I'm landing at a place of, I don't fucking know when, and I can I could not devote more time to trying to figure that out. So that's where we're at. This happened okay. at some point in his youth. Okay. Okay. Now for the story. So Bill Sr. spent 21 years of his career working for the Domestic Engineering Company, which was a publishing firm that promoted sanitary programs. And he worked his way up over the years, years eventually becoming the editor-in-chief. Okay. One of his duties as editor-in-chief was approving all of the ads and one of the alt policies that he enforced was that the magazine would never include liquor ads. So as Bill tells this story, he, he has to build up the drama and the anticipation, you know, right? So he repeatedly keeps referring to how his dad knew he could not include that seven letter word in the magazine. Repeatedly, it's that seven-letter word. Giving you an example. Quote, he knew that the ad with the seven-letter word could technically pass the company policy, but he also knew that it would be an open door for more compromise. Are you ready for the reveal of that seven-letter word, Tim? I'm ready. The seven-letter word. I made sure I said it again because you said it so many times. Was barroom. As in barroom stool. I felt like I was waiting for something so much more like sinister. Barroom. I mean, we know that he takes furnishings very seriously. He does. He does. So, like, we so of know course that, his dad. But... He got it from his dad. 
His dad was worried about stools and he's worried about carpet. <laughs> so Bill Sr. tried to negotiate with the president of the company, pitching that they could simply change barroom stool to restaurant stool and then they could run it. But when they weren't on board with this idea, Bill Sr. believed it was God confirming to him that it was time for him to leave the business world. Wow. Bill said, quote, I remember how impressed I was that my father was willing to walk away from a high-paying job with six children with no new job in sight. <laughs> Which is funny because, like, <laughs> I feel like they would say something about that to other... Like, I don't know. But then again, that's what Gil did. Like, mm-hmm. it all. It's just... But then they have everything to say about people who are on any form of assistance. But then it's just like, but it's real commendable that he walked away from his job because of barroom stool. Like, does he have issue with the word bar as well? Like, they call it a block of soap. Like, like you can't have that word anywhere in there. He's like, the chunk of of soap over there. Yeah, you know, we, we put our towel on the towel holder. The towel thing. Soon after, the Gideons International asked Bill Sr. to be their executive director, a position that he served in for five and a half years, which Gideons International, by the way, is best known as being the organization that got Bibles put into hotels. Mm -hmm. So just a little info info there. Some other positions that Bill Sr. held over the years was executive director of the Chicago Businessmen's Committee, the director of Chicago Child Evangelism Fellowship, the thing that uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah um and chairman of the board of the pacific mission was which was the one that i mentioned earlier with the start of the radio show correct so i felt like these aspects of bill senior's life story were really relevant to share as you can imagine they likely played a role in influencing billy g jr yeah the story and you know the bravery of quitting a 20 plus year career to p- pursue ministry over the word bar room and Also, just the overall example of holding many positions in various religious-based organizations. So, picking back up on Billy G. Jr.'s life, after turning down the partial scholarship to Harvard, he spent two years in junior college before transferring to Wheaton College, which, remember, is where the other Billy G., Billy Graham, went, and it's worth noting that by this point, he was a very prominent figure. Okay. So, Bill earned his bachelor's degree in biblical studies from Wheaton in 1957, and then went on to earn his master's in Christian education in 1961. Which, I mean, that, you know, that changes everything. All the concerns I had about wisdom booklets, out the window. (laughs) If he had his master's in Christian education, I mean, Mm -hmm. clearly he would know what's best. Well, yeah. I, I, I recant all of my, you know, doubts about the, the turkeys and the science with the magnets and the... It's very strong. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very strong of you to do that. So... You're brave. Yeah, very brave. <laughs> his thesis for his master's was titled, A Proposed Youth Program for High Crusader Clubs. At the time, youth ministries were becoming really popular, <laughs> such as Youth for Christ, Campus Crusade for Christ and Young Men's Christian Association, YMCA. YMCA. And the at the time, the Chicago area one that was popular was called High C. Basically, his thesis was him detailing how these programs could be done even better. He, of course, gives an example saying, quote, One summer evening, a bright new convertible drove into a restaurant parking lot in LaGrange. 
In it were seven young people. Because the top was down, it was possible to hear the jazz from the car radio, which is, I mean, there's your, there's your problem right there. Um, and the conversations of the young people. It was clear that they were just returning from a dance. There's your second problem. Even worse. <laughs> there was open drinking and smoking. Oh, my. Oh, man. The dancing's even worse. And then this next part makes it clear that he, this wasn't actually something Bill witnessed um, himself. It was someone else's written account that he was okay. referring to. Quote, from a nearby car, the writer remarked with sadness that here were young people not reached by the High Crusader Club. But a second look at those in the convertible revealed the startling fact that most of these young people were former members of the LaGrange High Crusader Club. Two had been faithful members for three years. It's a good thing I was sitting down. Oof. Blindsided. But not by on that. a barroom stool. No, no. We don't allow those. So Bill thought he could do better, and you know he's a, he was an expert because he spent his entire high school career annoying the fuck out of his classmates and <laughs> handing out disingenuous birthday cards. So like he knows he knows how to reach youth better than anyone. Well, yeah. Also, it's the same year that, based on his thesis, he created campus teams, which, if you remember, is like the early, earliest like version of IBLP. Like okay. Uh, and also, throughout his college years, he um, presented to youth groups. He oversaw 18 high school Bible clubs and even produced a weekly half-hour radio show. Mm. So, sounds like a little bit, a little, yeah. little influence there. Yep. Or And also some, the other Billy G, Billy Graham, you know, a little <laughs> influence. Like, he did that when yeah. he was in college, too. Mm-hmm. Ironically... Even though Bill's entire thesis centered on how he thought High C could do better, he became the director of the organization at the age of 29. <laughs> okay. And was responsible for the Bible clubs in 65 high schools in the area. He uh, he just assumed, like, this was going to be his life's work. He right. Ever since high school, when he was a high school kid, he liked ministering to high school kids and then mm-hmm. throughout college. So he, he was just like, okay, this is going to be my life's work. Right. But one day, a new member of his staff came into his office and announced, Bill, all of us on the staff think that you are proud. Is she Burn. (laughs) It is. I mean, that's one of the bad uh, opposites of like the good character qualities. So that's pretty. Um, Do you think the people behind the guy that said that were like, oh. It was actually a girl. Do you think the people that were behind her actually went, oh. <laughs> I think, but I'm like, is she like the OG agent? <laughs> like, you know, like, no wonder his system is so oppressive of women. Right? This one this, burned him. She fucking was like, I'm not handling it. I'm and not fucking one, taking this shit. And one way before probably didn't like that. He tried to kiss her and then it turned into that. She tried to throw herself at him. Yeah. No wonder this whole thing is anti-women. Yep. It was the, it was a woman who. See? The OG agent. Women, am I right? You're right. So Bill thanked her for bringing this to his attention because, you know, that's genuine. I'm assuming during through like gritted teeth. <laughs> and then immediately he started the damage control, right? 
So he made a list of people who he offended. And I'm like, did she tell it? Like, this is where I'm unclear. I'm like, did she tell you? Or did he was like, I probably offended everybody. Like, or do you just know off the top of the head, like who you've offended? You know what I mean? Like, how did you come up with this list here? I need, I wish I had some more information. If she rattled off a list, good for her. Mm -hmm. But it's also odd if he's like, yeah, I probably offended all these people. (laughs) So he, he compiles his little list. Okay. And he starts calling them up one by one and apologizing to them and asking for their forgiveness. During a call to one of the board members, they said, Bill, I will forgive you, but I'm still going to do what I have planned to do. Wow. A few days later, that same board member called a meeting between the staff and the board, sans Billy G, though, (laughs) where a list of 10 grievances was aired to the board. Bill was then notified that he was being removed as director and replaced with a 21-year-old that had quit previously due to Bill. And you can tell this really chapped his ass (laughs) because he said, quote, Soon they appointed a new director. I was stunned. It was the 21-year-old freshman in Bible Institute who had quit the previous year. All all these sentences have exclamation points, okay? (laughs) The young (laughs) hotshot. Now, he was the director, and I had to report to him. He seemed to enjoy this new relationship. So they removed him as the director, but, like, didn't, like, officially fire him, but told him, like, we don't really know what we're supposed to do with you now. (laughs) uh, So Bill presented his ideas from his thesis and how he could turn it into a program that involved forming teams on high school campuses and teaching them how to achieve steps to spiritual maturity, such as thanking God for the way he designed them, learning how to honor their parents, gaining a clear conscience, forgiving those who had offended them. He's like, see, see, like you guys have forgave me. (laughs) Yielding their rights and meditating on scripture. Supposedly, one board member said, I would not give you a plugged nickel for this plan. This is why he should hate nickels <laughs> and not movies. That's this true. is why he the should hate the nickel. The real perpetrator is nickels. <laughs> the other one, uh, another one said, this is obviously a work of the flesh. And, and finally, another said, Bill, if you are so sure that this is a good plan, why don't you go out and try it for a year and then come back and tell us how it worked? <laughs> That's the smooth way of getting rid of him. <laughs> exactly. And with that, they sent Billy Boy on his way. Wow. So this sounds like a, we're not firing you, but we're kind of firing you, but we can say we didn't fire you, but we're just like, you know, you just go try this and let report back. We're not firing you. We're just taking you off the schedule. Like, <laughs> yeah. Come on. And, you know, like, come report back. So now, just like his obsession with the high school superintendent, Bill also housed this story under the enjoy rewards for being reviled section. Mm. This is the, it's not bothering me. I like it this (laughs) way. That's how it is. Exactly. That's all it is. But I'm not buying it. I don't think he's reveling in this reviling this time. It sure doesn't feel like it. The tone is entirely different. The exclamation points alone. Um, I think this one bruised his fragile little ego. Mm Mm-hmm. He was in a position of power, like real power for the first time. Like before, it wasn't an official. This is the first official position of power. And it did not go over well. (laughs) And I don't think it has the same inspirational quality either. Like I know he's putting it in the book. Because, okay, unlike the other instance, 
where maybe the superintendent really didn't actually like him, which is possible and likely. (laughs) But I feel like that one has some basis to it. Like, hey, you can't be doing this in the school. And then he overcame that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's all fucking stupid, but I'm like, there's a little bit of a basis there where you could be like, see how inspirational it is. Yeah. But here, he was directly the problem. Like there, there was no, it's not where he was doing something or, or anything like that. The problem was him. So I think that chapped his ass. Yeah. So now Bill has lots of extra time on his hands. He doesn't have a job and he he lives with his parents still. Apparently he lived Mm. with his parents into his forties. Okay. So now he takes his annoying ass to the streets. Okay. For eight months, Take he would do the street. <laughs> for eight months, he would hop in his car and cruise the streets of Chicago looking for gangs. Oh my god! He'd walk up to them and say, oh. "Are you ready for this, Tim?" Oh god! I'm at the edge of my pew. <laughs> Can I put a little context into this? Yeah. How old is he at this point? He's like probably like 29, 30. Okay. And he's cruising Chicago. Looking for gangs. Looking for street gangs. Yeah. Okay. Because what I have in my head is Steve Buscemi dressed like a, hello, fellow teenagers. I know. Me too. So I'm ready for it. You ready? Yeah. Oh, God. You're going to love it even more. He would walk up to them and say, do you fellows live in the neighborhood? Oh. He said they usually replied by saying, yeah, what do you want to know for? And he would smile and tell them, I am looking for a group who would like to know what the answers to life. Three big questions are. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? He said he could always count on at least one of them pointing downward while saying, I know where I'm going. (laughs) So, you know, maybe they're going to the asphalt or the sidewalk or... (laughs) Hell. Heck. Heck, they're going to see you in heck. <laughs> what are the... Oh, man. After his very... How do you... How do you do, fellow kids opener? Um, <laughs> he would ask if they'd like him to do a chalk talk, which I'll probably touch more on the specifics of chalk talks in a future dig. Mm-hmm. He said, quote, Every group said yes, including the vice lords, nobles, and dukes. Okay. So Bill's got street cred, y'all. Wow, you don't know. He's 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 a hep cat. Homie hangs with gangs. <laughs> so I mean he's got cred. Do you want the answer to all three of life's questions? Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Like I mean he has answers. He has it all. So bad. It's uh, so awkward. So when you said that, that's what you thought of already, and I was like, "Oh!" And he even says, "Fellow," <laughs> like it just couldn't have been like. So that was what you imagined, and then it happened. <laughs> Do you fellows live in the neighborhood? <laughs> oh, what an opener! Uh, All right, but he does make sure to let us know one more time that he was totally fine with being reviled. You know, it's no big deal, really. It didn't it's, bother me. It's fine. He's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> because he says, quote, a le- year later, I could not go back to that board because that organization had ceased to exist. 
I'm convinced now that if I had not been reviled, there would be no basic youth conflict seminar. Thus, I can truly rejoice and be exceeding glad. Damn, he is trying real hard to win that Sell breakup. It. Oh, he totally. He's like, I didn't mind at all. Didn't bother yeah. me one bit. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm training even for lo- a marathon. I mm-hmm. didn't even love you. <laughs> so Bill went on to be ordained and commissioned for youth work by LaGrange Bible Church. And then in 1964, his alma mater, Wheaton College, invited him to teach a two-week seminar based on his work with youth. I'm talking to street gangs. Yep. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, um, Bill combined the ideas from his thesis, from campus team's work, along with his months of gang hangs, to create basic youth conflicts. And from here on out, uh, it really is what Dig 11 got into. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm going to leave it for today. Okay. <laughs> but hopefully digging into Billy G's past offered some further insight into how and why he became so Bill and just why he is how he is. I feel like these little stories really help you see how he just, he just really takes things and fucking runs with them (laughs) in a way that I've never seen anyone run before in my life. Like the smallest things and fucking runs like, you know, it's, it's crazy. And, just all of the same behaviors and obsessions with connecting all the things and something, you know, into something super black and white, super oversimplified. Right. And mm-hmm. it, like, it just goes so far back. Mm-hmm. Where, oh, like, I did this and this happened. That's it. That's it forever, yeah. for everybody, all the time, every, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and if nothing else, these stories paint how he really propped himself up to be a fucking know-it-all authority type by like high school age okay like he just thought that he was he had it going and he had all of life figured out by like the age of for everyone by the age of 15 right because you know as a 15 year old does they all know you know (laughs) well yeah i mean we look to the 15 year olds because they have all the answers all of them yeah and yeah he would clearly as we see carry this mindset throughout the rest of his life so i think that was very obvious oh and his dad i feel like getting um kind of that info about his dad explains a lot too Mm -hmm. yeah like you can see like where there's major crossover or major influence Mm -hmm. so yeah so that is some of the past on billy g and like i said i can probably work in some more vows and some more little stories yeah when it comes to specific stuff but that's pretty much the that's the basis of it all. <laughs> oh, Billy G. Still not my lover, but I know a lot more about him. Yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> so yeah, that's that. Oh, Billy. Like we said, if if he didn't get reviled so much, we wouldn't have had a podcast. <laughs> so, you know, we're grateful. We're we're grateful for all the persecution and reviling he overcame. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> You know what? And you know who I really thank? That superintendent. Thank you. Thank you. That super- woman that talked shit to him. <laughs> it would be like uh, the Jimmy Fallon thank you notes. It would be like, thank you, superintendent, for giving us a podcast, for reviling Bill Gothard and providing us a podcast. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> On a relatively um, obscure Jimmy Fallon note, um, this past weekend, he there was a new... Uh, Barry Gibb talk show and a Barry Gibb talk show on SNL 
um, because Justin Timberlake was on was on SNL and they film in the same building. So um, they both did a brand new brand new one. I wasn't born on the Isle of Boy. I was born on the Isle of Man. Born on the Isle of Man. <laughs> All right. So shall we dig on some stuff? Let's dig. Mine's super base. And, but it makes it brought me some some. You dopamine. said base. <laughs> mm-hmm. You sounded like a. You sound like a like a youth, like a fellow. <laughs> well, I mean, I was inspired by Billy G. You know, super but base. <laughs> I'm gonna sound antique and say that things are still lit. Um, <laughs> we don't exactly have their finger on the pulse of what we, the youth are doing these days. We Come have no now. fucking clue. No. I I feel like I'm learning something new every day like <laughs> someone sent a reel where it was like the bible um like written in like gen z speak and i was like another <laughs> bible i can't understand because <laughs> you know how i hate all of the fucking verilies and yees and the like and how i'm like no caps are you gonna get and i'm like yeah another bible i can't fucking read like i need uh, more of that hilarious my favorite one was somebody that says whenever i hear a a young person say Riz, this is what I think about. And it's Rizzo from the Muppets. Well, yeah, Rizzo the Rat, clearly. What else do you think of? He's just here for what the food. What does that mean? He's I've never just even, here for but the But what does food. that mean? Is that a, that's an actual word? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. No fucking clue. I'm above the age of 30. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So mine's super simple. Super base. Um, <laughs> so uh, Whitney got me an ice cream maker for Christmas. And I absolutely adore making ice cream to the point where, like, I over-researched all of it of what what things that you add to your mix and what they do in the process. And I just really geek out. And, like, I got really hardcore into the science of this thing. And at the end of it, I get to eat a tasty treat. So yep. I think I'm... I'm digging on ice cream. Hey, that's and the fact that solid. I can make it at home. That's solid. And we had we eh, um, <laughs> if you put enough stabilizer in it, it doesn't melt. So you're correct. Um, we had a bunch of Christmas Oreos left, so the first batch that I made was was Christmas Oreo. Very good. Very the good. Ice cream flavored that way, and then it had um, Oreos crumbled into it. It was because let me tell you, I don't. I love a cookies and cream, but I hate when it's just completely ground up. I want big chunks of the cookie that ha- not not just the cookie cookie cracker part, you know. Yeah. I want it sandwiched with the cream. Mm-hmm. I hate it when you get one and it doesn't have chunks. I'm like, I want it chunky. Or f- for me, it's also when it's like just vanilla ice cream that has like some small pieces of cookie in it. It's like, no, it it should be both. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, minor add on to that. Some of my favorite things that I've made in the past. Um, I made a London Fog ice cream, which is like frothy on top of like um, tea, like it's an English drink. So we did Earl Grey tea steeped into our ice cream base, and then we, you know, still whipped our um, our foam and kind of folded that into it. So when it froze, it froze with this like layer of kind of like fluffy. Um, my old chef used to do a lot of like pretzel and chocolate because he really liked that flavor profile so we learned how to like put pretzels into ice cream and make it not soggy you have to like over toast them a little bit 
so they can hold up to like all of that moisture that's going to be in there. Um, cereals. We did all sorts of cereals. Cinnamon Toast Crunch was probably my favorite. And then we did a Mexican candy called Mazapan, which is like a peanut candy. And same thing. We put that, steeped that into the base and then also crumbled it into it. So I just, I love making ice cream. He loves cream cream. Yep. All right. So I am digging on those random little memories that are of such nothing big, huge, but like end up being like cherished, profound memories in your life. So like, for example, it would be like when my sister let me spend the night and at her apartment and she painted my toenails and silver and let me have tang. Or when she was dating my brother-in-law when I was like really little, like four, and they took me to the gas station for Skittles. <laughs> or like, cause all, because my older sister is being much older. Um, and then they started in conjunction with them, like their spouses starting to date their spouses, like in high school mm-hmm. and then ending up with them. Yeah. My, all my, my brother-in-laws were in, my two oldest brother-in-laws were in my life from a young age. Mm-hmm. So like my second oldest sister's husband, they started dating when I was in third grade. And he had a convertible Mustang. And I'll never forget, like, when he took me and my best friend to Sonic with the top down. And he played LFO Summer Girls for us. (laughs) So these little things that do you think that they remember the time they took me to Sonic or took me to the fucking gas station? Like, it's nothing to them. But, like, to me, it was, like, this huge memory. Mm -hmm. And the reason I started thinking about it is because this past weekend... We took our nephew, we took the bop bop to, for his Christmas, one of his Christmas gifts, which was to, um, a Miss Nelson's, Miss Nelson is missing play, mm-hmm. which is twofold because like, I just wanted to take him to something interactive. Cause this is the age I started doing that kind of, those kind of gifts with my mm-hmm. other nieces as well. But me and his mom loved that book. Mm-hmm. And then I gave him that book for his baby shower. <laughs> like right. when he was, so I was like, you know, let me just like. Let's make it a full circle mm-hmm. thing. And um, my sister, like when, like she was texting me like, oh, he's excited. He's like, because we told him, you know, we did the scavenger hunt at Christmas for him to find. Mm-hmm. That's where he was going. And we also told him, and then we'll take you to lunch afterwards. So like she'd been texting me like, oh, like, oh, she was sending me cute videos of him. Like it was like pictures of him reading and then another picture of him reading. And then like two days before he's laying there reading it and his little brother is like sitting there with him. And I'm like, he's like studying up, you know, <laughs> like he's getting ready. Yeah. And then she'd be like, say, he's like, where do you, I wonder where they're taking me for lunch. And I was like, well, he gets to pick. And then in the morning when um, I was like, hey, we're on a race. She's like, oh, he's ready. He's like waiting. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, when she was putting him in the car, she was like, he keeps saying like, and I get to go alone. Like, you guys aren't coming. <laughs> so, so it was that moment. was like, oh, no parents. Like, mm-hmm. and uh, we had fun. It was good. Mm-hmm. We It was that weird, like, I, I kept looking at him during the performance to be like, okay, is he bored? And he was not. Like, he was engaged the whole time. So then it felt good because he was, like, paying attention and... At the point in the, the performance where, if you don't know, Miss Nelson is missing. She's missing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing book. I remember that when I was a kid. And I like the fact that all their props were painted to look like the art style in the book. Like, it was very well done. But the scene where the kids are going around looking for their teacher, Miss Nelson, they were doing the thing where they would 
walk off the side of the stage and walk back around to the front. And then the projector would change what background was up there like they had gone to another place. So there's a scene where they talk about putting out wanted posters and they all have missing posters. Yeah, there you go. Um, backpacks on because they're students. So as they every all the actors opened up their backpack and had missing posters that they walked around and kind of handed. But they only handed out three. Yep. And and our nephew got one, which was cool. So he kind of had this like keepsake as well. That was a that was a missing poster of Miss Nelson. Well, I I was nervous, honestly, because I I. I it's a joke, but also serious, but also a joke. <laughs> I always say that, like, by seven, eight, kids aren't cute anymore. <laughs> like, they just kind of, like, lose their cute. He's mm. seven now. And also, they start becoming, like, kind of, like, sn- they can become, like, kind of snotty. Or they become, like, they become weird, too. Like, his mother <laughs> on Christmas, she was like, God, he's at that age where everything is, like, you know, she was like, they just get fucking weird. But I was worried that he would be like, oh, this is not cool. So I was a little nervous. And then towards the beginning of the play the principal gets called over the intercom like telling him to come back uh that the his ballpoint pens have been delivered and he's like yeah or whatever and he was like he gets all excited about ballpoint pens and bop looks at me and is like why is that funny and i was i I was like oh god is this gonna be the whole play where he was like this isn't funny or like but then i realized he literally just didn't understand why it was funny and then i explained it to him then the rest of it was fine he was really excited when he got the little missing poster Mm -hmm. he was really into the clapping and then at the (laughs) end they had a q a and he got to ask a question he asked a very good question and it was it was so cute and like very like pointed and confident when he asked mm-hmm. like yeah. he was like my questions for miss nelson and he looked right <laughs> at her and he was like do you did you like playing because she had the same actress played uh miss nelson and viola swamp because they mm-hmm. guys spoiler they are the same person <laughs> spoiler viola swamp is miss nelson yep. so he was like did you miss my questions for miss nelson <laughs> did you like playing miss nelson or viola swamp better and i was like that was a good qu-. and then later on another kid tried to ask the same question and the person was like they already asked that and i was like i was like nobody's like they ain't got it bop you got it (laughs) it was really good and i will say they the uh costume design of viola swamp was very good it was good she had she had old school boots um like the wicked witch and then she also had a big black wig that looked like sia yeah, it really it was, did. It, was it like really big, did like, look like half circle upside down <laughs> wig uh, with the big giant black bow. So it was very Sia adjacent. It was, but um, it was awesome. We this is the same theater that we went to to see White Christmas. So we saw that was there and kind of set that up. And I'm like, are we like the theater? Feet? Oh yeah, and we did. We got him mm. doing that too. He kept saying the theater. The he theater. thought that was really funny. <laughs> yep. And my then- last haha of that was. I guess he had been he had been talking about what he wanted to eat um and it just didn't line up and and then I guess his parents were like, "Oh, well, you know, your aunt and uncle are taking you to lunch." And they were like, "Oh, it's perfect. You guys can take him there." So he picked uh Portillos. Yep. And which Chicago staple, they've opened up um a handful of them here in Arizona. But they have a video board that has like little like bags that have the order number so it tells you like you know when they're almost done when they're ready to pick up and any kitchen worker 
back of the house kitchen worker will tell you one of our favorite things is when we sell the board or when we clear, clear the, rail, the board yeah or yeah there's all these things so the whole idea is that we have all these tickets hanging of orders and when you get that down to where there's no more tickets hanging it feels good so when we get down to like the last three you know whoever's in the window will be like oh we should be coming up on table 80 and 82 and then there's four other tickets and they'll be like you know what just sell the board like we're ready to sell everything so as he was watching it we kept trying to see them like get all their orders off the rail <laughs> we were like we were all like pounding on the table going clear, clear the, the board. board clear the board and he was super into it yeah. and, and it, they did they cleared the board well, once it got down to like one bag and we're like oh it's gonna fucking happen like he was invested he's sitting there like eating his food and he's staring <laughs> at the board he's like number 44 like he was yeah. so into it and when it got down to one we were like they're gonna do it they're gonna do it and then another one got added and i was like no and then other people were walking in the door and i'm like we're not gonna fucking make it i was like we're not gonna make it and then when it did it did at one point clear and we were all like yeah, yeah and he was dude. like so into it it was just so <laughs> dorky but like he he was into mm -hmm. it and he like three times he was just like he would say thank you like when we were like at just different points during it so it was just super sweet and i was glad that he wasn't too cool for school mm -hmm. and like i was like okay i would like i kind of like worry i'm like i'm like you're not gonna be little for much longer like you are at the age where like you start you start aging out of cute real soon yeah. but i was like oh so i felt like we got like a we got like a memory and he was still cute and he wasn't too cool it was just the perfect <laughs> mix of all the things that i wanted yep and so. so it made me think of all of my memories. So that's why my digging on it's just like little. Like I don't know if this will stick out to him forever, but it's mm -hmm. like it made me think of mine that stick yeah. out. So yeah. And at some point he'll find that missing poster in a box somewhere and be like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> yep. But all right. Well, as usual, feel free if you like what you heard. Feel free to buy us a pickle or a coffee at buymeacoffee.com/slash/diggingupthedug. Enjoy our episode visuals and Mildred-related content on Instagram at Digging Up the Duggars Pod. And if you'd like to send us anything traditional mail, we do have a P.O. Box 5973, Glendale, Arizona, 85312. Well, fellow teenagers, I just want to let you know that Billy G, not my lover. <laughs>